everyone goes around saying, hey, you want more of the good HDL cholesterol, so I'll drink alcohol or I'll do more exercise. Now, wait a minute. The alcohol and the increased HDL has now been shown not to reduce cardiovascular death rate. It's true that exercise may very well be a good thing. We know that to be the case. So let's delve a little deeper into this type of Mendelian randomization studies. Long-standing truths and misinformation about daily wine drinking. We're going to get into it because now's the time for you to hear the truth. Let's start with Dr. Michael Greger. We're, we're airing today on YouTube a show that he and I did back a while back, and I'm excited for that to air on directly from our podcast. But uh, let, let's let's join right in with this Michael Greger and Rich Roll tactics for sustained weight loss based on Michael Greger's newest book. Here we go. Yeah, so in both ways, some of the conventional wisdom actually has real scientific basis, and only recently does it have a real scientific basis. So for years, we've just been saying, talking out of our butt, but now, oh, that's actually <laughs> uh -huh. true. We should, you know, breakfast like a king, you know, lunch like a prince, dinner like a pauper kind of thing. Um, some of this, or, or, you know, drink water before a meal, very common kind of mm -hmm. thing. Oh, now we actually have science that really does um, show beneficial effects. But I think the biggest... Uh, the biggest challenge for me, just because this is not my field, I mean, I, you know, I just know from what I learned in med school, um, and this concept that a calorie is a calorie, right? A calorie from one source is just as fattening as a calorie from any other source. I mean, this is kind of a trope broadcast by the food industry to kind of absolve itself of culpability, but it's just not true. Like, a, you know, 100 calories of chickpeas has a different effect on body weight than 100 calories of chicken or chiclets based on absorption, based on fiber content, based on all sorts. And even if you absorb the same amount, even a calorie may still not be a calorie. It depends when you eat it, in what context you eat it, how fast you eat it, all sorts. I mean, so, I mean, that just kind of exploded, like uh, my concepts of, mm -hmm kind of what we had learned in 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 med school so like this chronobiology I have a whole chapter on the right. whole circadian Walk us rhythm through this because this is i had never heard anything Correct. about this well, so i i think the important thing is is what we're looking at is it's true that a calorie is not a calorie i mean you even start call with the idea that food's high in fiber fiber by definition has no calories and that being said the fact that it has no calories is it just goes through your system, but in a bomb calorimeter, it's burned and shown as calories. So when you eat beans, which actually have quite a bit of fiber, or even say a potato, which has some fiber, we're seeing the whole effect of diet and the consumption of foods high in fiber. So the first rule. Well, not only that too. Aren't those uh, those foods that are high in fiber? It's not. There's no, they're not calories for you per se, but your gut biome, which really does enjoy those those complex slow burning carbs like fiber um it feeds the good kind of bacteria correct you end up regulating your gut biome and, and adding to the the flora that's important correct? absolutely and i i think it's important to, to uh, take into this concept too if you follow some simple rules because in my original book weight loss and energy now and to this day I, I will stand by what this book said back in 1994 when it was first published and that is that when you eat a food high in fiber by definition if you choose vegetables that have high water content 
tomato is a vegetable. You buy it. Mm-hmm. And some people classify it as a fruit. But if you, or if you eat cucumber, which has a lot of water in it, water by definition has no calories. So when you fill at, up at, with volume, correct? Yes. Yeah. When you fill up the gut with enough volume to send a signal from the stomach that there's satiety, I'm satisfied. I've had enough. And you follow a concept where you kind of go in sequence. If you ideally start with the lowest calorie foods, mushrooms, celery, cucumbers, salads with oil-free dressings, really fill up. Then you transition to medium calorie foods if you're still hungry, fruit. Then you transition to potatoes, a little bit more calories. We'll call those the starch solution. John McDougall mm-hmm. wrote a book about that. And sweet potatoes and beans. Now you have more caloric density, but you go in that sequence every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Always start oh, with the lightest to, to the medium to the okay. highest calorie. And then by default. I thought you were talking about per day. And I, I, no. And I was like, oh, but what about, you know, I've, no, I've heard no, you no. like Terry Hurtog with no, the no. start heavy and then go lighter at per the end of the meal day. And, and then okay. add this caveat. Eat your biggest meal, breakfast, lunch. Yeah, yeah. And okay. then lightest at that's dinner. That's what I've heard as well. That's what I was going to That's why which, I was going to Which is now the circadian rhythms. And then also kind of take into that concept. Not only do you want to go plant-based, but oil-free and sugar-free. So huge. It's, people are always debating, you know, is it, is it the sugar? Is it the oil? It's both. Well, it's, the funny part is that if you just apply the same rules that people go no duh about to get to, get to the idea that processed sugar is bad for you, right? It was extracted from its whole food source and is now in concentrations that are higher than natural, and now it works against your body in an unnatural way. Everyone goes, oh, yeah, that's why processed sugar is bad for you. Stay away from it. They go, then why are you consuming oil? Why are you chugging oil if it has the exact same rules being broken? All of the same rules. And worse, oil has no fiber. It has no water because oil doesn't mix with water. Yeah. And it's the most calorically dense food on the planet. Far beyond sugar. Almost double, right? Actually. Yeah, nine calories per gram. Sugar is four calories per gram. Over double. Jeez, over double. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, alcohol is somewhere around 7 calories per gram. I, I was seeing an alcohol okay. commercial, and they were saying, oh, we are, uh, what was it, carbohydrate-free. And I'm like, uh, hold on a minute. Alcohol has calories. <laughs> carbohydrate. Have you ever heard of a beer belly or, you know, on and on and on? And by the way, there's a segment during this show we're going to talk about the correlation to some of these keto people advocating drinking wine at night. I, I know – uh, there's a really? guy, Mark Sisson, Interesting. and he, he says he needs wine to get to sleep, and then Joe Rogan talks to him about it, like, well, d- does that issues. help you to get healthier? But but there's this whole thing about wine now that just came out, and, and I really want people to stay tuned. I don't hmm. want to blunt your you know your bad habits, but I am going to. Sorry, I mean, it, we're, it, we're, tell we're just, the truth. Right? We we got to cut through to the truth. So let let's uh, let's jump through to a few of these others here. Uh, and uh, forgive me if the order is changed a little bit. I'll uh, play with this. There we go. Uh, okay, so here, here's something that I, I wanted to bring up because do, do any benefits of alcohol outweigh the risk? And, and this is the one I first wanted to attack directly and right straightforward. Here we go. Once you remove from studies on alcohol and mortality the systematic error of misclassifying former drinkers as if they were lifelong abstainers, moderate alcohol consumption, like a glass of wine a day, does not appear to be protective after all. 
The immediate implication from this new research is that clinicians need to be highly skeptical about the hypothesized health benefits of alcohol consumption and should not advise their patients to drink to improve their life expectancy. This is especially important given increasing awareness of cancer risk from even moderate alcohol use. Given the cancer risk, if there's just harms and no benefits, then the ideal alcohol intake on a routine day-to-day -day basis should really be zero. So let's be clear. The ideal alcohol consumption is not this daily wine, it's good for you, you get resveratrol. You'd have to drink hundreds of glasses to get the resveratrol, quote, benefit of anti-aging. Grapes, actually grapes are a good source of resveratrol, and they're a whole food. I, I eat grapes as often as I can get my hands on them. They're the medium calorie food in transition to what we talked about at the beginning of the show of sequencing, vegetables, mm. then fruit. And grapes are quick. They're easy. You don't have to overdo them. You can titrate them. Three grapes, five grapes, ten grapes, you know, as yeah. you're going, right? They're portioned. Yeah. Some people like green grapes, red grapes, ones with seeds, ones without. I like the idea of chewing the seeds and getting the, you know, getting all the benefits of the grape seed extract and that sort of thing. Th there yeah. is some there is some definite benefit to that. So let, let's let's be clear that this whole thing with alcohol consumption here, let's let's just jump ahead. Because did did you get what they said? They basically said that if you take people who have never drank alcohol and you then compare those to people who maybe drank a glass of wine, so to speak, every night. And by the way, the French have the highest death rate of cirrhosis of the liver in the world. They don't even drink to intoxication, mm -hmm. but it's deadly for the liver, let alone cancer risk, which has been brought up. What about the, the I've heard the number of like, like four ounces a week you can get away with and still be still have health you know, like still benefit or not not be not have your health negatively impacted by it. Is that true? That's a limit that Pritikin and I put okay. back in nineteen seventy eight when we reviewed all the literature and we said a glass of beer has an ounce of alcohol. A glass of wine has an ounce of alcohol. Or a shot of alcohol. And a shot of alcohol has an ounce of alcohol. So choose your poison, mm -hmm. but limit it to four a week. And, and we, we sometimes joke. We said, look, if you're really drinking just to get drunk, have your four glasses all in one, in one night and then recover the rest of the week. But if you somehow are led to believe that having a daily glass of wine to calm down, relax, and you better learn NLP, timeline therapy, sleep patterns, learn about Stretching, ways. Stretching, yoga, things along oh, those lines, breathing. Sauna, sauna yeah. before. I, I, oh, that's the best. It gets you to sleep like like amazing here. Let, let's jump ahead here. Looking at a red light beverage. The problem was that many of these population studies classified those that quit drinking in response to ill health as non-drinkers. This is the problem of reverse causation. Instead of Okay, so let's let's wow. hear what he said. That's big. They were drinking. They got in trouble. They, they had, had liver health damage. Problems to the point where they had to stop. Cancer, cardiovascular disease. Doctors said stop drinking, and they were included in the study as oh well, wait a minute. Some of the people who who were drinking, you know, it, it changes the bell curve. Yeah, not they, their own category of people who used to drink and were affected by it or something along those lines. They were actually included in the healthy non not drinking ever people and. Ha that had to have skewed the numbers to make yes. it look much more even. Right. Never drank. No, they did drink. They drank excessively. They were forced to stop drinking, <laughs> and then they were included in the study. So the, the current studies came out and teased all that data out. This is... 
this is huge. I, I can't tell you how many people I sit across from, even health experts and doctors who I watch them pour a glass of wine acting like, and I hear these podcasters, oh, this is the best wine around, and they're, they're talking no, about it. And I'm thinking pleasure. to myself. It's a, it's a special occasion every once in a great while. Just Not, understand what yeah, it is. Exactly. It is a poison. Alcohol is a poison. Oh, but they say, but the gut produces alcohol. Yeah, a little bit, but are you going to add to to a toxin? And how's your liver going to detoxify like, that? Like you, you said, understand it for what it is. And alcohol increases estrogen levels. Guys, you want man boobs? Oh, yeah, that's crazy. Gynecomastia? Go for it. Here we go. Of abstaining leading to poor health. Poor health may have led to abstaining. It's like when studies show those who sit around and watch TV have worse health. <laughs> is more TV leading to illness, or is illness leading to more TV on the couch? That's one of the reasons why, if you look at the hierarchy of evidence, where higher on the period means stronger evidence, interventional trials, like randomized control trials, tend to offer better evidence than observational studies of populations which can suffer from both reverse causation and confounding factors. For example, light drinkers as a group may be more likely to drink their glass of wine with a salad than a cheeseburger, and that's why the wine appeared protective. But sometimes it's hard to do randomized control trials. Like, you can't randomize people to smoke a pack a day for a few decades, and so sometimes you have to base your decisions on observational studies. But now we have a new tool, Mendelian randomization. In cases where randomized control trials are not feasible or practical, this new tool can provide reliable evidence on the cause and effect relationship between exposures and risks of disease. It's like the HDL story. Alcohol does raise your HDL good cholesterol levels, but unfortunately it seems good cholesterol isn't any good at lowering heart disease risk after all, based in part on Mendelian randomization studies, where people— Okay, so let's pick up on that. Everyone goes around saying, hey, you want more of the good HDL cholesterol, so I'll drink alcohol, or I'll do more exercise. Now, wait a minute. The alcohol and the increased HDL has now been shown not to reduce cardiovascular death rate. It's true that exercise may very well be a good thing. We know that to be the case. So let's delve a little deeper into this type of Mendelian randomization studies. This is a critical new tool or breakthrough in the analysis of statistics. Here we go. People who are randomly assigned higher HDL levels genetically from birth don't appear to be protected. Is there any way to study people who are randomly assigned since conception to not drink as much? Remarkably, yes. Alcohol is detoxified in the liver to carbon dioxide and water by two enzymes. But in the process, a toxic intermediate metabolite is produced called acetaldehyde, which can cause unpleasant nausea and flushing sensations. So if people are born with a slow variant of this enzyme, or a superfast variant of this enzyme, acetaldehyde can build up, making alcohol drinking in these people a relatively unpleasant experience throughout their lives. So they're just born less likely to drink as much. So do they have increased risk of heart disease, like the original observational studies would suggest? No, they have reduced risk of heart disease. This suggests that reduction of alcohol consumption, even for light to moderate drinkers, is beneficial for cardiovascular health. 
So this just sheds further doubt on the protective association between moderate alcohol consumption and heart disease, which was already plagued with the confounding and bias, and now the scientific pillars on which it's based appear increasingly shaky. So that's, that's huge, because what we're saying now is that these individuals who never drink are the ones that have the lowest overall risk of death. But more importantly, there's a certain enzyme. So certain people have the problem when they drink even small amounts. They get nausea. They get sick. It's not enjoyable. Others, they drink, and they have another enzyme that metabolizes the alcohol rapidly, and they have a pleasant experience. Mm -hmm. They get drunk, or they get high, or whatever... They don't get as nauseous or as, right, as so, so So what we're saying is there could be a predisposition in certain people to become alcoholics, and those are the ones who should not drink. All right, I'll call. They're already blessed. They're not going to get in trouble. They're always, always avoiding it anyways. <laughs> I, you know, and I'm not sure where I fall into because when I was 12 years old, I drank every single day for the entire summer, got drunk, smoked cigarettes, 12 years old. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad owned a beer bar, and long story short, they'd bring home, you know, the bottles, and we'd drink Didn't them. Keep and, good count of them. And, 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 and then at the end of that summer, somehow I decided I would never smoke again. I chose to never drink again. It just came to me. It wasn't right for me. Hmm. And, you know, by observation of people you know, around, I, I'm not saying I'm perfect. I'm saying, look, I was overweight. I was an alcoholic. I s smoked cigarettes. I mean, I was as bad as it got. My face would break out. I was 12 years old. I was a heart attack waiting to happen. In fact, at the age of 21, I had a stroke, a TIA. So I'm glad that uh, at 12 years old, I also gave up dairy product. Oh, wow. All these things happen because I started reading scientific books and learning nutrition. And then you committed to the decision, right? That's yeah. the biggest part is you committed. I committed, and, and I stuck to it. You know, So where are we at? Here we leading go. Some suggest the leaning tower of presumed health benefits from moderate alcohol use has finally collapsed. Given the harms attributed to alcohol use, it's not surprising that reports suggesting benefits attracted enthusiasm among consumers, the media, and of course the alcohol industry. But these apparent benefits are now evaporating. What conclusions should we draw from this emerging evidence? First, in health as elsewhere, if something looks too good to be true, like butter is back, it should be treated with great caution. Uh, secondly, health professionals should discourage drinking. Thirdly, health advice should come from health authorities, not from the alcohol industry, which should remove all misleading references to purported health benefits, which are increasingly looking more like a triumph of spin doctoring than good science. So, okay, it makes sense. If we're going to depend on the alcohol industry, the beer and the wine industry to support podcasters or people promoting daily consumption of alcohol for good health, it's for good profits. It's definitely good profits. So, you know, I kind of tearing through these things here this is the one i wanted to kind of conclude on this segment on on wine and alcohol because i i, I think it's it's important for people to get the full story and it's a few more minutes but but let's just go through it for a moment here we go 
yeah, alcohol is a neurotoxin, which can cause brain damage. Yeah, alcohol can cause cancer. And so perhaps the consumption of alcohol cannot be considered a healthy lifestyle choice since it's an addictive carcinogen and all. But cancer is only killer number two. Killer number one is heart disease. And so what about the French paradox? Doesn't moderate drinking protect against cardiovascular disease? As I've explained before, there apparently is no French paradox. It seems to have all just been a scam. But that's what started the whole resveratrol fiasco, one episode on 60 Minutes, suggesting the red wine component resveratrol might account for the French paradox, and research took off. Even after it turned out there was no French paradox, research continued unabated, culminating in 10,000 scientific publications to date. And what did they find? After more than 20 years of well-funded research, resveratrol has no proven human activity. Oh, wow. One salient theme that consistently arises throughout this voluminous body of work underscores the fact that data from human studies is sorely lacking, despite resveratrol's popularity as a dietary supplement. Very interesting. Yeah, I think it's important when you start teasing out. Now, let's backtrack about this. French paradox. It's claimed that here the French drink wine every day, and overall they have a lower cardiovascular death rate. But then also look at how they are. They they walk to the food stands. They eat a fair amount of fruits and vegetables. Fresh organic food that's free of pesticides, or at least free of glyphosate. They don't tend to, to my understanding. And I've been to Paris, France. Me I've too. been Me I've been too. to a few other countries. They're generally not overweight. These people. Well, they only buy what they need food-wise for the meal, right? It's usually the grandma buying. They know exactly what their family usually eats every day, and it's as fresh as can be, and it's mostly plants, even if they do eat meat, right? They're, they're, yeah. There's little, it's small portions of the meat. Yeah, now, granted, they do have their amount of sauces and the rich things, but and, yeah. let's go further. But they're not number one in the world in life expectancy no. either. The hype in the popular media regarding resveratrol may indeed turn out to be nothing more than a sleight-of-hand marketing device using non-human research as a cover. Ah. When you see graphics like this, they're based on laboratory animal studies at massive doses, tens of milligrams per pound, and so if you do the math, that's where so-called experts arrive at suggestions for a gram a day for people. Okay. So how much red wine do you have to drink to get that much? Oh, just like 5,000 cups a day, or a couple thousand gallons of white wine a day, or 5,000 pounds of apples or grapes, maybe 50,000 pounds of peanuts. That is one big PB&J. Couple thousand pounds of chocolate, start out with a million bottles of beer totally on the wall. <laughs> of course, it doesn't help matters when a leading Okay, so first off, it's virtually impossible to get the amount of resveratrol that animal studies. Pounds of grapes. We might be able to go there. Yeah, I mean, great. <laughs> we're, we're getting there, actually. Here, here you'll see. Let, let's go further. Resveratrol researcher is found guilty of 145 counts of fabrication and falsification of data, throwing the whole field into turmoil. Hmm. Wine may only be good, this translates to, for those who sell it. The resveratrol fiasco is not the only time dietary supplements have failed to fulfill their promise. Notable examples include beta-carotene pills and fish oil capsules, where you know, studies in the 90s showed taking beta-carotene in pill form actually increased cancer risk. 
and in 2013, the shift on fish oil supplements from no proof of effectiveness to proof of no effectiveness. The main lesson being that what makes biological sense and works in test tubes and lab rats does not always operate in humans. After all, resveratrol is only one of tens of thousands of components identified. Uh, thinking in terms of whole foods may be a better approach for health and disease prevention. Uh, like instead of one chemical in wine extracted from grapes, how about just eating the whole grape? For the nice. prevention of diseases, the whole dietary grape seems to be the best-case scenario. All right, guys, so, so for that segment, it did. It, it honed right back into the whole grape offered the best benefit. So folks, grapes, and if you want to use supplements that have resveratrol, I would not depend on them solely, but I would say this, that there are other factors that we're concerned about, and you've got people out there promoting wine and uh, you know we, we mentioned some of these people here let's let's just peek away here at uh, Joe Rogan with uh, Mark Mark Sisson here there we go I, I like to have a steak I got this Wagyu short rib that I get um, you like that stuff huh it is so good but it's all fatty yeah that's the point you like that that's the point Ma'am. Yeah. And because uh, you like fat. Yeah. No, I, my diet is probably 55% of my calories come from fat. But Wagyu is a lot of corn fed animal. All right. So I, so it's, I make a little bit of an exception there. Um, I can get uh, grass fed when I, you know, when I, when I look for it at uh, PC Greens where I shop mm -hmm. in uh, Malibu. But, um, or at, you know, Whole Foods or whatever. But this, this Wagyu uh, is just such a delicious. Great, so you delicious. like that? It's you awesome. like a nice, tender, juicy, fatty yeah, yeah. steak? Yep. Is there any benefit? Like, what are the health benefits of eating grass fed meat and using grass fed cow's butter? And yeah, it's really interesting because um, one, one of the things I, I just kind of have to raise my eyebrows at is I hear about grass fed whey protein isolate, right? Yes. So you have grass fed whey protein, it's whatever they put in the drink. Well, the reason you eat grass-fed cows is because the fatty acid profile is more, um, uh, it's, it's a more desirable fatty acid profile. The protein complement is the exact same in a corn-fed steak or a grass-fed steak. You just can't tell the difference in the protein. It's the fatty acid profile that's different. The other difference might be the residual hormones and antibiotics. So when they raise uh, corn-fed beef and they start from an early age, that's not the the cow's native diet, so they the cow tends to get sick, get infected, and so right. they have to use antibiotics, and they have to use uh, and sometimes they use growth hormone just to get them off the lot quicker. So I mean, he's he's talking about a type of meat I haven't heard of the the fatty meat. Have you? Oh, heard of wagyu. That? Yeah, it's a it's it's a Japanese thing, I believe, where they like baby there or like spoil the crap out of the cow and feed it all the best things and get it as fatty as can be and it's all organic and um it's supposed to be like the creme de la creme as far as flavor goes it's really expensive okay so you know here, here's a guy who is talking about high fat animal product during this exact show uh, episode 752 he is also admitting he has atrial fibrillation and he doesn't monitor his uh, heart rate because of that and uh, he you know he, he's talking about a beneficial type of uh, 
uh, heart rate monitor type uh, system. And yet, he, when Joe Rogan asked him about it, he, he transitions to drinking wine, and, 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 and he's talking about the early days when he was a carbohydrate eater, and he switched over, and he's so happy about being, you know, one of these heads of the keto movement. So, uh, you know, I, I, you'd have to watch the whole show, but I, I wanted to transition over to this issue with atrial fibrillation here. I think, yeah, it's, it's on this regarding the omegas. He was talking about omega fatty acids, right? Here we go. DHA levels weren't that high. And so maybe the confounding factor was meat consumption in general, not just fish. And that lower meat consumption may be the reason for the lower rates of prostate cancer in the lower DHA group. As the consumption of well-done meat is associated with an increased risk of prostate cancer, an intake should be restricted. We also used to think omega-3s could protect us from arrhythmias, abnormal heart rhythms like atrial fibrillation. Millions suffer from the condition, which causes an irregular heartbeat and a higher risk of stroke and death. But fish and fish oil consumption does not appear effective for preventing it or treating it. Other arrhythmias can be life-threatening and cause sudden death. Despite initial encouraging results, more recent studies have not only failed to reduce sudden cardiac death with omega-3s, but actually increased mortality in cardiac patients. For example, men with heart disease advised to eat more oily fish or supplied with fish oil capsules were found to have higher risk of cardiac death, maybe because of the contaminants in fish such as mercury. In either case, uh, given the inconsistent benefits, the potential adverse effects, you know, omega-3s must be prescribed with caution and generalized recommendation to increase fish intake or to take fish oil capsules need to be reconsidered. So you think about it, wow, um, you're learning here that common recommendations of eating fatty fish, what, what salmon, mm -hmm. and That's that type what, of thing? Uh, everyone talks about wild-caught salmon, and every time I'm like, oh, I don't want to break it to you, but you're not doing th things that are good for you. Right. L l get this. Redfish, whitefish, darkfish, atrial fibrillation. This is uh, another YouTube reply. And sometimes in a reply, I'm recommending and agreeing because it's hard to refute the science. Here we go. Atrial fibrillation is the most common clinical cardiac arrhythmia, an irregularity of our heartbeat rhythm, which can set you up for a stroke, uh, increase our risk of dementia and heart failure, and significantly shorten our lifespan. Previous findings on the effective diet have been conflicting. Uh, some studies have found alcohol, caffeine, and fish consumption to be good in terms of preventing and resolving atrial fibrillation, and other studies have shown them all to be bad. It's when this kind of situation arises in nutritional science, you pull out the big guns and put it to the test in one of the bigger, better studies, like the famous Framingham Heart Study population, like they did here. They found no effect either way, in general, from the consumption of alcohol, caffeine, or fish, but when they looked closer, they observed an association between the consumption of dark fish and atrial fibrillation, a six-fold higher hazard ratio. Uh, what they're talking about is uh, basically salmon, uh, the swordfish, bluefish, mackerel, sardines, that kind of thing. 
They conclude that their findings may suggest a true adverse effect of dark fish and fish oil on certain subtypes of atrial fibrillation, proposing that potential toxins such as dioxins and methylmercury accumulated in certain fish may have a negative effect on cardiac arrhythmia. Okay, so he made it very clear that you know consuming uh, things like tuna. Uh, Sounds like pr bigger predatory fish, especially, right? The ones that eat other fish and collect that mercury. Yeah. Uh, and he, he, he mentioned sardines. Now, some of these keto advocates, like this guy, they Dom, stuff. we're going to yeah. jump to him. They, they, they scarf it up like it's no tomorrow. Uh, and, and, and you think about it. <laughs> I, I went to Newport Beach, the the pier where they bring in fish and oh. someone had brought in a 120 pound blue fin tuna. Nice. And I, I asked him, I said, how much did it sell for? And he, he said, I, I said north of a thousand dollars cause it was 120 mm -hmm. pound fish. He said, Oh yeah, quite a bit. I'm like, Whoa, nice. And, 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 and get this, this, th this is uh, January 5th, 2019. The owner of a sushi place in Tokyo, this is sushi chain owner Kushia Kumura, purchased this immense, here, here we go, this immense Pacific blue fin. He bought it for a record $3 million. And I, I, I was trying to figure out, he said. $5,000 a pound. $5,000 per pound. They could cut this giant tuna into 12,000 pieces of sushi. I don't know if he made back his money. What's the Jeez, math on that? I don't know. That's an expensive <laughs> sushi. Well, it just goes to show, you know, we're at a population now where we can't, we can't keep up. Like our, our food chain can't keep up with the amount of people consuming meat at the portions they're consuming it at. Yeah, it's, yeah. We're and, emptying and, our oceans. Yeah, and here's this Dom D'Agostino. I think this is the segment where he's actually – here we go. He's talking about sardines. And, uh, I mean, I look forward to eating them. Uh, for me, I'm kind of weird. Like, that is a treat for me. Uh, and that's, you know, I've taken a lot of different things and experimented with a lot of th different things. And simply just eating sardines, like, it's like the mm. perfect food. And eggs, too, are the perfect food. You <laughs> ask me, like, where I get my fat from. Uh, I do get a lot from the olive oil that are packed in the sardines. So I eat a lot of fatty fish, lots of egg yolks. I will make an egg yolk omelet, and I'll give, the like, the whites to my dog for protein. That that Three. is, I mean, that's so deadly, and and get so this, so inflammatory. One point two million views on Joe Rogan's number nine nine four YouTube. Having people thinking they're doing the right thing and helping their health. Really and and you got a pseudoscientist guy, who 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 writes. Um, He's got some little bit of machismo to him, right? So people are like, oh, wow, I want to be a man, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, you know, he's, he's an interesting guy, Dom D'Agostino. And he's blatantly saying eggs and, and, and what, sardines packed in oil, uh, olive yeah, oil. Yeah, which is, we know is like a, straight, like a straight shot towards diabetes and insulin resistance. Yeah. We're going to get to that on a lady who, at the age of 70, I think we should cut away to her. But the, these yahoos, oh, did I say that? I, I would love to interview these guys and debate them. That, yeah. Bring just it on, guys. Questions. Let me just ask you a few you questions. You know what I'd like to do, too, after they've eaten their standard meal, is, is put their blood under a, a, 
a microscope and and show you eat a meal of yours. That's what you should, I'll yeah. eat what I typically eat through the day and report it. Let you eat your sardines, your your eggs, your olive oil, and all that, and then we'll compare triglycerides, insulin, glucose levels, cholesterol, LDL, HDL, cardiovascular risk factors, all the way down the list. And I have a carotid artery scanner here. Dude, I'll put his his neck arteries right right up on the screen and and let the whole world see this. Yeah. Uh, you know who I did that with? Were were you present at the AFRM meeting in December? It was like I think two thousand. I want to say sixteen. Mm, I think it might have been the year before I started going to those with you. Dave Asprey. Oh, okay. That was that was the year before. We put his blood right up on the TV screen after he had been drinking wine, and he was backtracking. He says, "Oh, it must have been the wine I drank." Well. Why are you drinking wine? Are you advocating wine? And then those bulletproof coffee with, with oil, MCT oil and, and, and MCT oil. oils. I have a segment here on MCT oils. It's crazy that it's like superheated. It's They're broken down like free. It's like free radical sauce, basically, It's is what it is. It's kind of crazy. And, and he did have free radical damage. Yeah. It was not a pretty picture. His LDL cholesterol level. And by the way, he streamed it live on Facebook, so I'm not like disclose, disclosing, you know, medical records that no one knows about. He was streaming and, and kind of bragging, and then we're all looking at and his saw blood. saw how bad it actually was and, and started backtracking. Backtracking. It was like, what? Uh, how do you explain that, brother? Uh, okay, so let's – let's here, here we go. Um, I, I, I don't want to trash on these guys all the time because they're doing their best. But to me, they're how shall leading, I say They're this? leading people in that direction. That's the, that's the real – problem yeah they're 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 fish oil salesmen or snake oil salesmen, we can say with, with, what we oil? Just, with what we just oh, saw we oil. can call them fish oil salesmen <laughs> I, is there any difference we know it doesn't have any uh any benefits yeah yeah it's proven so, proven to have no benefits right right so you know i i look at this and then i think you know how, how could anyone oh here, here's a guy here, here's a guy peter peter Atia, he, he's a medical doctor. Here, let's jump in. Let's see what he has to say. Also, I was kind of missing f certain fruits. I felt like I was just like not, again, I didn't feel like I needed them from a health-wise perspective. I just felt like I just missed them. I enjoy eating these things. I haven't had a banana in three freaking years except for the odd one, you know, or something like that. So it just, for me, it was just, that, that was what it really came down to. And, you know, I think the impact of leaving, you know, different people have different responses to a ketogenic diet. I think some people at my end of the spectrum, respond as well as anyone can respond. I mean, for me, it was, I, 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 it's hard to articulate, right? I mean, every, on every dimension, things just got better. I mean, my mental clarity, my resilience, my biomarkers, my performance, eventually, it did take a while. I did, certainly, took a, certainly took a step backwards for the first three months, then regained mostly aerobic function. It was probably 18 months before I surpassed anaerobic function. And I was actually with Steve Finney last week, and we were talking about this, that I really regret not taking muscle biopsies throughout that three-year journey. I think that could have been quite insightful. But I also know having now put people on ketogenic diets and been around a lot of you know people on ketogenic diets, that I, I was about as good a responder as you're going to see. And there, there are others that have responded as well as me. But but there are lots of people who don't respond this well. And so you know, going back to the previous question, I think that's where you have to have a little bit of humility, which is like... You know, no offense to the keto community out there who I'm probably pissing off at the moment, but I'm highly put off by the this view that like ketosis is for everybody. And if, you know, if you try a ketogenic diet and it doesn't work for you, well, you screwed it up or something. And it's just like, that just strikes me as patently false. So 
anyway, that's, I don't know if I answered the question. Was the question what, okay. Oh, and then the other question is what do I do now? Now I mostly vacillate between time-restricted feeding and non-time-restricted feeding with a much simpler set of principles on how I eat, which is just try not to eat junk. Okay, so we, we've got some questions that have come in, and this is getting fun because, guys, we're getting to the crux of what everyone talks about. So, so Kyle, what's, what's the first comment or question? So the first, the first comment and question is, in it to win it, how about sardines without oil? Well, okay. They without... were talking about the dark fish specifically in that study, right? So it was the dark fish and the fish oils that are contained in that meat that are the problem. So even without the, the olive oil, it's still a problem. Right, right. Uh, the, the, dark, the dark fish has, and they're, they're not sure, but the contaminants, the mercury, the cadmium, who knows, all the contaminants, PCBs, which are estrogen dangerous toxins. Those are all causing problems, and the fish oil itself is proven to have no benefit. So you're eating it for a benefit you're not getting, and you're getting negative effects instead. Right, and, and let's, let's not forget, when you're using olive oil in, in excess, and this is not talked about much in the literature, I show it every day under a microscope when people cannot pass a postprandial after eating test within an hour to four hours of eating. My classic video is olive oil healthy. If you watch that and you see me where my blood's completely pure from eating fruits, vegetables, rice during the week, whatever, and I, I have my blood up on the screen, I check my triglycerides at 45. You know 45 for a triglyceride after eating is like... Really, yeah. really good, really low. low. My yeah, blood yeah. sugar levels like 65, 68, whatever. I then consume olive oil. Within an hour or two, they double. Well, people then chime in. They go, well, sure, it'll double. It's oil. Well, yes, it's going directly into my bloodstream. That's not a good thing. And then I chased it with some, some cheese fat because these people eat cheese and, and ham mm -hmm. and something else. And, and and then my triglycerides went through the roof. I mean, it, it, it just skyrocketed. It, it hit... Let me think. My blood sugar went over 130, which is diabetic. My triglycerides spiked over 300. And I always see somewhere over 300 where you can visually see on the TV screen. Have you ever noticed that correlation? A lot of fat particles. Snowstorm. Yeah, and then the blood cells clumping together. And then you see me on video because it was fast photography. Fall asleep. Fall asleep. <laughs> I, I lay on the ground because I'm just not used to shoot that's when mo everyone drinks coffee yeah, all these keto it. people they, it's either coffee or nap time it's no choice they're they are drinking coffee because they're left they, with they, a decision and they have no choice they can't stay awake yeah. to stay up with me there's no chance they can keep up with me so did we answer his question specifically um yeah he, he was asking about specifically oil with no oil or sorry sardines with no oil whatsoever right so, so and you, that's you what would, they were saying you would reduce the, the triglycerides but sardines are very oily fish and you're still getting like he's, like that study was showing all the negative toxins that are in that fish that are causing the problems. And you're getting the cholesterol in sardines. Yeah. And we haven't too. even got to that. We're going to just slam cholesterol so next. One, one more question is, yeah. uh, so why do some vegan doctors still cling to algae oil? And that's because when, that's because omega-3 levels in, in a lot of vegans aren't adequate, right? And those, those less than adequate omega-3 levels cause brain like cognition decline and that sort of thing well it takes time, what right? did we figure out four months of of algae marine algae There's like 250 milligrams of two, dha yeah and it's a, what a few capsules like two or three yeah. okay you're not loading the bloodstream with oil triglycerides are not going to go up from that but they're going to get the benefit of the dha the omega you can so also forth. get those they don't convert it's not as 
much of it that actually gets to be DHA, but you can get those same oils from like flax seeds and that sort of thing as well, correct? I believe flaxseed has, has um, alpha lipoic acid that's the precursor to DHA. But then as you get they were saying that as you get older that you don't convert as much as well. So that that's why they were saying to supplement with algae oil. Yeah, and, and I would go further. Uh, I would hedge your bet and, and lean towards like every night I take walnuts, almonds, cashews, Brazil nuts, and I soak them in water. And then by morning, I put them in the refrigerator. I pour off that water. It's kind of dirty water. It looks really brown and dirty. And in another bowl, I have chia seed, sesame seed, flax seed. Nice. And I soak those. Now, I could go through the straining and separating the seeds, but they're so small, they're going to go down the drain. And basically turn into a paste anyway. Yeah, right? they become a paste. So what I do is I take a few scoops. I don't eat the whole bowl. I take a few scoops, just like uh, Dr. Joel Furman like talks three about. Three tablespoons or so. If nutrient you can. density. Yeah, yeah. I take some walnuts, some cashews, some Brazil. They're all mixed together with the chia seeds with, some, with grapes. Mm. Okay. And, 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 and then I eat that for my breakfast. I get my omegas, which is my heavier meal in the morning. I, can, I need those calories. I got to get through a long day. And it holds me, but the fiber slows the absorption of fat. I've measured it under my microscope. And you can see that my blood looks good under a microscope. It's not overdoing it. No. What they're doing... And you're getting all kinds of protective benefits from doing it that way compared to with oil, which is nutrient-less, basically. Right. They're mainlining straight oil into the bloodstream. You know, you know the term mainlining, yeah, like yeah, a yeah, drug yeah. addict. Exactly. I was hearing Peter Atia, I could mainline that MCT oil and you know the keto oil and all this. Yeah, you actually are, you idiot. I, I mean, <laughs> I mean that's that's without a mistake. fiber, pretty much. You yeah. you really are, and and it's it's not only every bit as bad as sugar. It's worse. It mag and it magnifies and multiplies the problems of sugar as yes, well. Right? Yes, that's where then the insulin becomes desensitized. And, and the diabetes kicks in, not just from the sugar, the sugar and the oil. Mm -hmm. That's a horrible combination. And we're going to now visit Esther and Loveridge. This, this is an amazing story. And just watch, we'll watch for more questions because we're, we're really having fun. With, I hope you're having fun with this show. This is going to be one of the shows that blows the lid off keto and cholesterol and wine and lack of exercise and all the... And, and by the way, the reason the keto people do well is... They, they basically are doing food restriction. Did you hear Peter Atia? Oh, yeah, I'm really big into my window. I can only eat till after like 12 noon. I can only eat till 6 o'clock, that kind of thing. A lot of them are on heroic diets where they can only have one meal a day. They have one giant meal, and that's the best. They say that's the best way to do it. It's like, yeah, well, then you, it's, you can't. There's no possible way you're going to get a calorie surplus. Oh, think about it. You know what culture does one meal a day and it shows that it's the biggest risk for obesity known in the weight loss community, uh, obesity? What what community in athletics that's I was actually- say, I think I've heard you say this before. It's sumo wrestlers, right? Yep, sumo wrestlers. They eat one gigantic meal and it's huge. And their body's starving, and when it gets that one meal, mm. it, it just conserves all the calories, the insulin, jump, jumps in everything into the fat storage, and they gain massive amounts of weight. They get four, 500, 600 pounders. Hey, guys, I got to tell you, the new coaching program has come out, and we're excited about the coaching program because the coaching program is at nickdelgado.com. 
We'd love to help to guide you, to coach you on your health journey. And now you can apply for the special coaching program. And you can also get our special book, Immune Rejuvenation. Just leave your name and email and you're going to get one of the best books written on this whole subject. We are excited to know, Anna, and I got to tell you that, you know, the whole idea of immune rejuvenation has come. (music) 